Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. This is High Tea with Grace, where we spill the tea on HIT. I'd like to welcome the fantastic Dr. Shrujal Baxi. Dr. Shrujal is SVP of Clinical and Scientific Solutions for Verona Health and a consulting physician in medical oncology. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Grace. Good morning. So nice to see you today. Turns out we actually live not too far from each other. So this is pretty cool that we get to do this via Zoom, but we'll have to do this via in person next time. Definitely. We're so close. Who knew? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself. What inspired you to go into medicine um, and into medical oncology specifically? Right. So when I was preparing for this conversation, I kind of had to go back and, and think about when did I first figure out that I wanted to be a doctor? And I actually couldn't pinpoint an inspiring moment. It's almost something I've always known I was going to do. I spoke to my mom and she was like, yep, when you were in kindergarten, people asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. And so I think that was always sort of baked into my story. But medical oncology is a little different. I think I didn't know what medical oncology really was until I got to medical school. And even then, I don't think oncology was what was pulling me. I thought I was going to do internal medicine. And then I got to residency at at Bellevue, and this was the early 2000s, and what oncology was was sort of changing really rapidly because we were starting to appreciate the disease, and I was like, wow, it's like internal medicine plus. And and I think that that was really um, how I landed on medical oncology. It was the experience of actually taking care of patients in the hospital who had cancer and and really seeing that connection that those patients had to their doctors. And I thought that that would be something that I would enjoy both scientifically, but also from that, that connection that I saw those doctors and patients having. That's really fascinating. So how did you make the transition from academic medicine and oncology and patient facing to the health tech world and informaticism? Right. So how do you go from like, I want to be, a, you know, in that patient provider experience to then going into health technology? It, it was a real um, sort of leap of faith in many ways. I have this long, long history with a public health background in um, how we can use observational data for research. 
And oncology has a really long history of using observational data, single institution studies, SEER and SEER Medicare. I mean, those are all observational data sets that we've mm-hmm. been using mm-hmm. to understand disease and outcomes. And what happened as cancer was rapidly evolving, right? We were understanding more about the genetic basis of disease. Um, all these new therapies were coming onto the, you know, onto the forefront the data that we had to study these things in real world populations couldn't keep up. We couldn't get the data in our hands fast enough. And so really serendipitously, you know, I I met people at Flatiron and they were like, come and, you know, work at this exciting company. Um, And when I left academics, it was really, I told my colleagues, this is a two year paid internship, guys. I'm going to go learn about how tech is solving this real world data problem. And I'm going to come back to academics and we're going to figure it out. Um, but then I got to tech and I love the the pace and the innovation and this like entrepreneurial spirit that everyone seems to have to like want to try new things and pivot quickly. And then I never went back because academics is great in so many different ways um, and really sort of brings us great insights. But personality wise, I think I actually fit better in this technology space. And it's so exciting to be a part of the innovation in addition to the academics. So, you know, what is this, what excites you most about this? Right, I, it's, a, it's a really exciting time. I think right now we're still figuring out how to, how to generate real world data. Real world data has been answering questions for a long time, right? Like mm-hmm. I mentioned mm-hmm. before, but what we can do now is we can do it at a scale and at a speed that we never could do it before. So. What ultimately I want to figure out is how do we take all this data that we're going to figure out how to curate at scale and use it to generate evidence to answer these questions that are otherwise not going to get answered. So we talk a lot about evidence-based care, but the evidence generally exists for the questions that we study. And Mm. yet healthcare is all about making decisions over and over every day. And so much of the decision-making is based on an individual physician's experience, anecdotes, right? What if there's actually data there that can give you information so that when you have to make that decision that no one's done a study about, you actually are more informed. Um, And so there's a lot of pieces between where we are today and that vision that I you know, hope to see one day, which is we got to figure out how to curate this data. We need to figure out how to analyze this data. And then probably most importantly, we need to figure out how to get this data back into the hands of the patients and the providers. Yeah, that was my next question. Like, what does this mean for patients? I feel like just having so much more of this real world data and having it more accessible and very curated is is impactful for the physician. But, you know, how does it impact the patients too? Um, What does it mean for them and their journey? Right. I, you know, So in oncology specifically, I think I was blessed to have patients who just asked a lot of really good questions. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we had data to answer those questions and sometimes we didn't. And I would love to see a world where this repository of data organized by disease states can actually help answer those questions. So for Mm -hmm. patients at a minimum, a better understanding of their disease biology, their potential outcomes. But more practically, if we can figure out how to use this data effectively, we should be able to better know which patients should get which treatment. Because if we look at the way clinical trials are currently run, we're not always comparing all the options. We're comparing two options and we're deciding one might be better than another. Or 
one drug is better than nothing, but then there's four drugs out there. Clinicians have to make decisions around which drug to give first or in what sequence. Patients need to know that. They need to know what the side effects are when these drugs are going to be given in the, in the real world outside of that clinical trial setting. Mm -hmm. All of that information is there. We just need to figure out how to analyze the data to get that out. And so as a provider, I think it makes me more confident in the decisions I'm making, right? It gives me additional information that the trials themselves can't. As a patient, I think it lets me make a more informed decision at these really important junctions across like a disease journey. That's very true that they will have more information at their hands to be able to make decisions concerning their own care in addition to the physician having that extra data. So I'm interested, where does Verona Health in particular get all of their data? So Verona Health is a, a really sort of novel way of thinking about accessing data. We partner with um, medical societies who are providing services to the providers who are part of the societies and in doing that, they're sharing their data with a registry, right? So oh, wow. each society has a data registry and that's becoming more common, I think, as we realize that there is a lot of unknown that real world data can solve for. So Verona is really the health technology partner to these societies to help them, one, solve the problems that the providers are hoping to solve, and then two, figure out how to create research ready data from that same um, from that same registry data. So taking a step back, what is registry data? It's, it's the electronic health records that these clinicians are documenting in every day as they take care of patients. So patient and provider, documentation in EHR, share with the societies as a registry, and then the health technology partner comes in and tries to make value from all of that information, both for the patients, the providers, the societies, and ultimately to advance therapeutic options. Wow, that is absolutely amazing that they have access to all of that data. I mean, it's incredible. How, do you happen to have any idea of how many lives that covers um, or, you know, how about how much, you know, in, it, it, data is involved in that? So, you know, it depends by registry, how many participating providers there are, but we're talking in the numbers of millions at this wow, point, right? Wow. And so to me, you know, the opportunity to generate real world data is there at a scale like never before, thanks to the availability of electronic health records. And Verona is there to figure out how to do that using technology. So I'm really interested um, in, in this uh, transition you made from clinical to informatics. And, you know, having worked in the care setting for patients, um, how does that experience really inform the work that you're specifically doing at Verana? Any data company like Verana or others that are out there really brings effectively the medical voice to the table. So we are just part of this cross-functional team, but an important part because we serve almost as the translator, the interpreter of this EHR, because at the end of the day, if you don't understand why the data was entered and why it was entered in a certain way, you're unable to figure out how to make use of that into research-ready data or to solve the problems that the providers are um, highlighting. There is an incredible amount of variability in how physicians think, how they document, and all of that needs to be brought through 
as data is going from sort of what we call raw EHR data into these research-ready data sets. I, I, I think that the medical voice really is the guiding light, even though we are not the technical wizards who can actually do the, the hard part of the coding. And yes, that very true. It's almost like this medical voice is this translator, you know, yes. that's really translating all this impactful data and, and what how it can be used for real world evidence. Do you feel like that's kind of your role in many ways? That's that's the goal, right? In the in the long term, it's to actually have all these different pieces of this life cycle of the data actually feed into each other and simplify across the board. I think we're a little bit a ways away, to be honest, because the system still remains pretty siloed and the incentives don't quite align yet. But I do think if people like myself that are clinicians in the health technology space continue to advocate for this. I, I do hope that ultimately the stars align and, and this can happen. So, you know, kind of diving now into you personally, you know, you're a physician turned in, you know, informaticist and, you know, all those things. How do you stay on top of what's going on in the industry? You know, what are your favorite sources to go to in order to track trends, et cetera, to kind of stay on top of things? So one of the best things about working at a technology company is that they're very good at keeping up to date with what's happening out there. I think mm -hmm. the FDA is moving incredibly fast recently in um, putting out guidance documents that give us a sense of what they're thinking about in terms of regulatory readiness of this data. So I do follow them pretty closely. I think Stat News is another great source and is really a good cross-cutting between data, biotech, um, sort of the, the pharmaceutical industry, the technology industry. I, I, I like these sources that are not specifically into one field, but really start mm -hmm. to tie the thread together across them. Because ultimately, we live in a world where these things have to fit together. And it's hard if we are so laser focused on just our area to sort of come up as leaders at a company to see what's coming down the road. Mm -hmm. As you look into the future, you know, and you, you kind of think about what's coming down the road, what developments do you see coming in years ahead with respect to technology and guidance and, and real world data? So I think what we're learning over the last few years as more companies enter this space um, is that we've probably seen the first version of companies like this that use technology to facilitate manual abstraction. So sort of the first entry into this space and oncology really was leading, I think, when we think about EHR derived real world data, that they were sort of the first to the, the table. And most of the advancements were technology that enabled faster manual abstraction. But that is a linear growth path mm -hmm. and you can only have as much data ready to go as you have manual abstractors to do it. I think we've entered the next phase, which is we're going to figure out how to use technological advancements to actually eliminate the human manual abstraction component, but rather supplement with things like NLP and ML. And so now the millions of charts are available to us for research and answering questions that are important to providers and patients. But 
and, and that's that's coming. Like, I don't think it's that far in the future. Like, I think it's what we're doing mm-hmm. now. We just need well, to it seems like the baseline is to actually be able to connect. That's and now exactly like the next right. level is to actually be able to communicate and right. understand. Right. So you, you think it could be pretty soon up the road. Well, I think the next thing, in addition to sort of communicating what it is that, you know, creating real world data looks like from an EHR is actually the next step, which is how are we going to start linking all the different disparate sources of data against an individual patient together so that we have a more complete picture of the patient journey. So patient generated data, their claims data. I mean, at some point we consent and you know, there's already companies that are doing this. We're, we're thinking a lot about this at Verona. How are we going to actually identify patients, but then consent them so that they're part of the data generation actively as opposed to passively, which is what happens when we're using data that's in an EHR already, hmm. right? And so the, the future is really how do you effectively with high quality connect all these data sets so that when we speak of a patient journey, it's not just through the lens of the EHR you happen to have access to, but really the full 360 of the experience. Yeah, it's so interesting. I think that when people think of data, they often think of like, oh, connectivity, analytics, big data, but they hardly think of the fact, the term patient. And in fact, working in data like this is very patient-centric work, which yeah. is very interesting. And, and, and the best data you could possibly have is, is, is data that can be that can best describe the patient's whole picture. What, how do you kind of keep that patient at the center of your work, um, you know, as you kind of think of it in that term? It's a really good question. It's something that I, I think you can get lost from when you're mm-hmm. in the weeds of code and um, logic and algorithmic rules. It, it, it's something I have to keep coming back to, which is why we're doing this and hopefully in how I'm making decisions. So if ultimately I think about why would a provider write this or why would a patient say this or why did the patient not want to do this? I think it actually grounds me in the translation or interpretation that my job really requires, right? In the day to day, data generation, making sure I'm reflecting the, the what and the why, and then that informs the how, right? For the data. And, but in the long term, sort of grounding myself to the purpose of why I work at a company like this. Yes, and very how, true. And what, and like at a table of cross functional leaders, what is the purpose of my position? And I think it's really to keep us centered to the long-term goals of this type of work. And so that, I think it's easier said than done, but I always feel better when that's where my thought process is coming from. And so I try to always come back to that. Truly, it's it's such purpose-driven work and keeping that purpose in mind helps you really when you're in those weeds of the codes and the thing, you know, the, the technologies and the data and all the things you're working through. It's like, oh, the patient, that's at the end of the day, this is about improving outcomes and making this process better ever for everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about some of the work that you're most proud of so far that you've worked on. Uh, what are some of the things that you've been really proud of in your career? So uh, there's so many. I just, I've loved being part of the ride. I didn't 
start out wanting to be in technology or even really understanding what health technology could be. And, you know, I, I look back on my academic career and sort of the choices I made and ultimately some of the work that I did trying to create technology solutions to democratize survivorship care for patients mm -hmm. who had head and neck cancer. So that was my area of expertise. And I was struck at that time of how much patients suffered, even if they were cured. Yeah. And how do we help those people live a full life and get the kind of high quality supportive care that you could get at major institutions, but didn't translate to all the practices across the country? So how do we how do we use technology to bring high level evidence based care to the community? And so there was a project that I worked on with a dear friend and colleague that you know, I still hold dear. It was starting from scratch and figuring out how do you even develop a technology? How do you figure out to get patients input? And that sort of opened my eyes to what technology could be. So that was sort of like step one. Um, and then I transitioned to Flatiron. And there I really am proud of how we advanced what real world data could do. So we yeah. really were pushing the boundaries of how real world data can be created and the evidence we could generate. And so that felt really important to me. Um, and now I'm at Verona and here we're really thinking about the technological solution to develop this data at scale. And I'm still pretty new here, but I'm excited that they too appreciate the medical input. And so I'm excited to see what we're able to do ultimately with all this data that we've had the privilege to sort of work with. So I, I feel like I can't identify one thing because it's yeah. all sort of a building. It's about story. the journey to, for you. Journey. I mean, it really makes a lot of sense because it's also interconnected and important and building on itself. Um, so I'm just wondering, we have a lot of uh, young people who watch the show. Um, do you have any advice for young people getting into healthcare, health IT? Uh, do you have any advice for, for women in this industry and uh, things they should keep in mind or maybe paths they should maybe consider or things they should do to promote, uh, help other women in the industry? So I, I think my, my career is really the result of so almost chance encounters. People made connections and I followed up. And so I would tell everyone to take the phone call, take the introduction, put your best self out there and don't be afraid, right? So number one, networking, it's really important. Um, two, I would say to think of it like a journey and not a destination because it's quite possible the job you're going to have doesn't even exist yet. And I could say that to myself circa 2004, companies like this didn't exist, right? So I, if you would ask me then, what are you going to be when you grow up? Um, I couldn't have even, couldn't have even told that anyone, right? Yeah. And, and I feel like with the wow. pace of growth in this field, that's exactly where we're at. And so rather than focusing on the job I want, maybe it's the opportunities to learn something new. And together, all of that starts to tell a story about you. Um, I think having purpose matters in work like this, because at the end of the day, it's really, it's the privilege of, of touching a patient's journey in a way that I think physicians have always known, nurses have always known, social workers have always known. And as we think about technology entering into that field, 
it's not a direct connection and yet it's an incredible responsibility that we hold. Um, and so making sure your purpose is aligned and, and that you can center to the why. Um, and I guess the, the fourth thing would be never give up. You know, there, there were many times along the way that I was told that, you know, you don't quite have the chops or you don't have the right background or you don't have this. And I, I want to go back and be like, it's okay. I did okay. You know, and be perseverant in the things that matter. Yeah. Yeah. It's so easy because healthcare and health IT is so hard. <laughs> it just seems like you make so much progress. And then there's another regulation that you kind of have to figure out and where there's a, another rule or there's another diagnosis that's you know, there for those of you that are physicians. And so I could imagine it, it's a hard industry <laughs> and, and having that perseverance is very important. Mm-hmm. For the for the physicians who might watch this, especially yeah. you know junior physicians, I do think finding good mentorship matters. Finding people mm-hmm. you can talk to in the space who've lived this transition, I think, is really important because um, we are a minority in the health technology space, and so we do need to sort of help each other out um, as we as we go through that that moment from being either an academic or a full-time practicing clinician into this role of being an interpreter and part of cross-functional teams at health technology companies. Yes, it's so true. Um, so, you know, going on to even more personal level, what are things that you do in your day-to-day life to work your best and make a difference? You know, do you have a workout routine or do you eat healthy or do you spend time with your family? Are there certain things that you do just personally to help you, you know, stay on track? You're a busy, busy woman here <laughs> making a huge impact. And I know you're doing so much work. And so what are some things you do in your personal life to just make sure that you, you are healthy? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think COVID and this time of change has made a lot of us sort of reevaluate how we live our lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a, a working mom, I think trying to balance all the things we do, it, it's like a constant struggle. So I can't say I figured it out. I, you know, I do try to work out and take advantage of the fact that I work remotely and get a workout in in the morning. Um I did decide as a, an adult to learn how to play the piano, to do something that's oh, using a, that's a very interesting. I, I actually uh, play the piano and I love the piano. I think it's so calming and it really focuses your mind. It's like a meditative type of, you know, experience. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of that is just for me. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, I think overall, I I'm. I'm a checkbox kind of girl and I try to stay organized and I try to stay focused and I try to prioritize and not sweat the small stuff um, because it keeps me calmer and less stressed. I, I do think that it's easy to get caught up in sort of the, the pressure of, of the moment. And so things that keep me grounded um, and focused and perspective seem to be the key to to happiness. And so working out, I just think is it's like necessary. I can feel it when I haven't worked out for a day or two, you know? Yes. Very interesting. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We've had an awesome time chatting with you. Do you have anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners uh, just about your journey or about data itself or what you see as the future of uh, healthcare? 
Um, I just want to say thank you for inviting me. This was really a, a ton of fun. And I guess, you know, I, I think that there are challenges ahead, but I'm really excited at the role that women are playing across these companies to try to solve it. I, I do feel like we have an increasing voice in this space. Um, and so kudos to you guys for, for really highlighting that. Well, to finish off this conversation right, thank you so much for saying that. And also to finish this conversation off right, where can our listeners find you online? I think LinkedIn. I'm very responsive on LinkedIn. So please do reach out if I can answer any questions or you just want to share a thought. I'm I'm open. That's terrific. And before I forget, did you happen to bring tea with you today? I uh in the morning, I'm still a coffee person, not a tea person. That is perfect. What kind of coffee do you drink? Hazelnut, regular, Costco, <laughs> Dunkin'. <laughs> it's regular black Starbucks beans that I grind at home each morning. Um, I'm actually not picky. I just need a strong cup of coffee to get my day started. Yes, that's great. I've actually heard that there are studies out there that say that coffee can help focus your mind too, in addition to kind of giving you a boost of energy. I don't know if you've heard that. <laughs> I, I, I've never heard it, but I could agree to that statement. I do feel when I, I don't have a, a strong enough cup of coffee, I'm not quite as on point early in the day as when I got the real, the, the good stuff, let's say. Uh, totally get that. Well, thank you so much. And that's too good. Uh, and thank you all for joining us today. It was so great to doc talk to Dr. Shrujal today. Uh, check out the Hit Like a Girl podcast and website for other amazing interviews just like the one today. Cheers. Cheers. Like a Girl Media is more than a media network. It's a community. We want to meet you and amplify your voice and the voices of outstanding women innovating in healthcare. Interested in starting your own podcast or hosting an event near you? Connect with us online or in person. We're here to support and empower you.